from Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm Sam McQuillan. Yet another college football season kicks off this weekend, but this will be the first in which the players on the field are eligible to make a whole ton of money. Partially in response to losing a case at the Supreme Court, this summer the NCAA lifted its long-standing ban on student-athletes earning money from their name, image, and likeness. In an instant, the move has created enormous revenue earning potential for hundreds if not thousands of athletes across the country, and especially those who play the more high-profile sports like football or basketball. We, of course, are a tax podcast, so when we heard about this, the first thing we thought of is, what are the tax issues that will face some of these newly wealthy athletes? To find out, I turned to John Carafa, the president of ProSport CPA, a tax firm that specializes in working with athletes. I started off by asking him whether, since the NCAA's name, image, and likeness move, he now has a ton of new clients. At this point, we, we aren't officially preparing any tax returns for anyone. Um, at this point, it's just fielding questions for the future. Um, it's really going to be the 2021 tax year where the college athletes are going to have their first opportunity to, to earn money um, with uh, the endorsement income. Um, and so it's more just educating them um, and their advisors and their agents about uh, what to expect and that there is going to be a tax burden out there and they should budget accordingly. Yeah, we've, we've seen a bunch of different deals, large and small, some like, uh, you know, you get free wings for, you know, showing up to the bar and saying you love the wings. Others, you know, kids getting $2 million uh, a year um, to do like brand ambassador work with companies. Um, what about these deals sort of indicates how a student athlete would file their taxes? And when do those lines get murky when it comes to what they're doing? You know, how they file and the strategies that we're going to advise are really going to depend on what the magnitude of the earnings are going to be. Um, That's going to be the biggest determining factor whether or not we'll advise if an LLC should be created or not, and and then what other advanced tax planning strategies could be implemented. Yeah, what are the advantages to making an LLC if you are fortunate enough to be one of those athletes in the higher group of earners? Yeah, if, if it's somebody that's going to be you know earning near six digits, then, then it makes sense from a tax perspective um, to potentially form the LLC and, and maybe even put in place an S-corporation payroll type of a strategy um, to, to save um, taxes overall. And it really is a, uh, something that we've got to run the numbers to see if it's advantageous for somebody. Um, but for most um, college athletes who, who don't have a substantial amount of endorsements, the LLC is just going to cost them money and not give them really any tax advantages per se. Yes, they could have the advantages of, of having a business, having an LLC and the, the, the posterity from that by having a company. Um, and, and yeah, it does protect their social security number from being handed out to a lot of different potential endorsers. Um, and it does give them some liability protection, but there are costs involved to setting up an LLC, both the legal fees at the beginning, annual fees within the state, and then potentially how they set it up. Um, it could double their tax return preparation fees because not only do they have the individual tax returns to, to handle from a compliance side of things, but also a corporate set of tax returns. So um, there, there are expenses, and I think the LLC strategy for tax purposes really should be reserved for those with the highest income levels. Because at the end of the day, the same expenses are deductible 
for a college athlete whether or not they have an LLC. Just because they have an LLC, it doesn't magically grant them extra expenses they, that they get to deduct. It does incur extra expenses, but it doesn't give them any, any access to deductions that they wouldn't already have. Yeah, that's a good point about the cost involved. Um, I would imagine, at least with college basketball, most of these high earners are going to be one-and-done athletes, typically, because they'll still be able to make more money in the pros. So for someone like them, it probably wouldn't you know, be, be worth it as much, right? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, if you're looking at a, 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 an elite football player who, who may be in college for three years, it makes more sense uh, to potentially go that route than somebody where it may only be a portion of one calendar year where they're earning money before they're, they're, they're a pro team athlete and a wage earner with, with um, you know, a professional team in basketball. Yeah, and John, how are you going to sort of maximize these state and local tax laws to you know, do your job and minimize the taxes for these athletes? Um, is that involved in sort of telling them, hey, you know, this state – just so you know, has no income tax versus maybe a, a higher uh, a higher tax state like California or, or New York? Yeah, and that's really going to be a case-by-case basis. We've got to look at everybody's personal situation, um, their home state versus the, the college state versus the, the performance of the services state. Um, those all could be different. They all could be the same. It could be a mixture of that. So it's really case-by-case. Case. We, we want to have you know, an optimized strategy. Um, but at the end of the day, the facts and circumstances are going to dictate what we can do. And, and that's something that, you know, the better we can get in front of that, um, um, the more money that can potentially be saved from a, a tax perspective. Um, but in the end, it, it really depends on, you know, where, what, are, what are those states that are in the equation? And it could be over time, um, and I think we're going to see this, um, as, as the market settles down, as it becomes more mature, um, you know, a year or two from now, who knows when that may be, but um, it, college athletes are going to know very clearly which colleges they're going to be able to earn the most from their likeness. And it's going to definitely um, play a role in recruiting. The tax implications are also going to play a role in that because if one of those colleges is competing with another college and one one of the colleges in an, is in a no tax state and the other one is in a higher tax state then in theory the no tax state college should have a competitive advantage um, the same goes for pro athletes where the same gross offer in free agency from two different teams could be very different on a net tax, net after tax perspective. And so the athlete definitely has to look at both offers, evaluate them from a net earnings after tax as part of their evaluation process to pick where they're going to go in free agency. Same is going to happen in college. Yeah, I'd imagine it makes, you know, the Texases and Miamis of the world, even though they're already very attractive to, you know, very good athletes, even that much more attractive. Um, you talked about sort of uh, an important point. Um, most of these, a lot of these athletes playing for these schools aren't from the states that they're going to. Um, what sort of goes into establishing a domicile for these athletes um, that is sort of the basis of who's going to tax them and where they're going to owe taxes? Yeah, and so, some would argue that the college state, um, especially with the way that 
that college athletics are so competitive and, and a lot of the offseason is spent on campus too, um, one could, could make a very strong argument for an athlete in a no-tax state who's going to college in that state um, that they're resident. The, the residency is bolstered if that's where they have their, their I guess, address of record for, for all intents and purposes, you know, financial documents, bank statements, um, if that's where their driver's license is, the car's registered, you know, where they've registered to vote. I think that, that there are steps that can be made to bolster residency. Um, I don't know how interested the tax authorities will be in college athletes, um, and, but we'll see. Time will tell with regards to how aggressive they are on auditing the state residency determinations. Um, you know, for college in, in general um, and tuition purposes, you know, Somebody may not be on a full ride, although most elite athletes are, but in, in some of the sports where there could still be lucrative off the field, off the court activities, um, the individuals may not be on a full scholarship. So they may have already taken steps to be a resident of that state to get college tuition rates at, at residence level. Um, that could be great if it's a no-tax state. That could be detrimental if it is a high-tax state. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting to think through all the implications of college athletes and where they're going to earn their money and how it's going to affect recruiting going forward. You know, you mentioned sort of, um, you know, the similarities to professional athletes and how they're taxed. Um, You know, we have something called the jock tax where states that uh, professional athletes are playing in um, on the road, they get get a piece of their earnings because that's where they're earning it you know, according to a certain system that um, sort of divvies up the amount of time they spend um, performing work. Um, could we see anything similar um, with schools or other states going after visiting teams here? Um, or is that completely out of the question? I, I don't think they're going to go after the visiting teams in the sense of what the off-the-field income is or off-the-court income is just for playing games in the state. But what they could do is go after those athletes for the services that are performed, um, potentially in commercials or um, speaking at a conference or you know, otherwise performing a duty in that location that has to do directly with that endorsement or that sponsorship activity. And so that's where, where you may see some activity from the tax authorities in some of the more aggressive states of going after that income. If they, they can you know, pull up a, uh, a video online and say, hey, yep, yep that was shot downtown LA, um, that's, that's subject to California taxation. Yeah, and to get to downtown LA, if you're you know, coming from another state, um, you know, you'd probably have to travel there um, you know, via maybe a plane or a car that a company pays for. How does that stuff get treated uh, tax-wise? Well, those expenses would directly relate to the the earnings. So, um, if if the athlete um, had to um, incur the expenses, then they would be directly deductible against that income. Um, and so, if it ended up getting added on top of the the income granted to the player, then they would just be able to, to deduct that right off the top. Seems pretty straightforward. Then, um, what are you telling what are you telling uh, parents? Because athletes aren't the only ones affected by this. Well, parents have to be careful. Um, it, it's going to take a, a coordinated approach with the accountants for the players 
um, with the parents because um, you know they may not be able to claim the athlete as a dependent on their tax returns when otherwise in the past they may have been able to. So, um, it, you know, in some cases it may be a gray area. Some cases are going to be really clear uh, based on the earnings level of the athlete that, there's, that, that they're, going, they, they're the only ones eligible to claim themselves on their tax returns and, and the, the, the parents or other family members should not be claiming them. That was John Carafa, the president of ProSport CPA. And that'll do it for this episode of Talking Tax. You can find up-to-the-minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website, news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about what you just heard, or really anything else, get in touch with us on Twitter. We use the handle, at tax. Today's Talking Tax was produced by myself, Sam McQuillan, and David Schultz, with the help from Jeff Harrington. Patrick Ambrosio is our editor. Our executive producer is Josh Block. From Washington, I'm Sam McQuillan. Thanks for listening. The number of words in the tax code is estimated to be 1 million, about the same length as the entire Harry Potter series. Add in IRS regs, rev rulings, and case law, and it can be a lot. We all need a little help to sort it out. Each week on the Tax Girl Podcast, I talk to the best in the business. And these aren't crazy technical dives. They're interesting and easy to digest looks at topics that matter to you. It's all that you need to stay ahead on the most important tax issues. You can subscribe to the podcast for free on taxgirl.com because paying taxes is painful, but hearing about them shouldn't be.